Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia, and I am so glad you're here. I am a 20-something in my early 20s, and I was going through my fair share of shit show moments, and I'm sure there's more shit show moments to come. So much fun. But it's while I was going through these moments, I was realizing I'm probably not the only 20-something who feels this way. So I decided to start this podcast back in 2020, and it's been incredible. And I love interviewing these inspiring people. And I hope that through these stories, you're able to see yourself in these stories. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. I put so much time and energy into this podcast and it would mean the world to me. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's guest is Tan. I love chatting with him. Tan is the founder of Asian Efficiency, a productivity training company where they help people become more productive at work and in life. He started Asian Efficiency in 2011 and has helped over 16,000 clients. The blog attracts annually over 1 million readers and their podcast, The Productivity Show, is the number one productivity podcast with over 12 million downloads. Tan has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Inc. Magazine as a thought leader, and he gives keynotes across the world on productivity, efficiency, and time management. In this episode, we go into so many incredible things from how we can start to be more productive. We go into sleep and how to do a wind-down routine. We go into procrastination, and if that's linked to being less productive, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Tan, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I'd love to start telling me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. Let's start there. Wow. Uh, my 20s has been quite a roller coaster, and I would say an unusual 20s for most people, too. So give you a little bit of a backstory. Parents were both refugees from Vietnam, and they ended up meeting each other in the Philippines. So I was actually born inside of a refugee camp. And when I was about six months old, we immigrated from the Philippines to the Netherlands, where I grew up. And when I was about six years old, my parents, like they came to a new country with absolutely no money. You know, it was just a diaper bag, a briefcase and some clothes. And uh, that's all they had, you know, so they had to start from scratch all the way from the bottom. And we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So they saved up enough money to send me on a plane to go to the United States when I was just six years old. So I flew by myself, visited my grandparents, and I had such a great time that as a six year old, I said, you know what? I want to live in America. This is my dream. So ever since since then, I made every decision as a kid to live in the States. And so I said, you know what, I want to go to school there and live my life there. So I ended up uh, getting into college in the United States, in Los Angeles specifically. And after about two and a half years, as I was entering my 20s, I actually ended up dropping out of school, which is like cardinal sin number one of any Asian kid is dropping out of school. That's something you don't ever want to do. So that's something that I did. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to take the maybe not so traditional path. And my parents were always telling me like, hey, Tian, I want you to become a doctor or a lawyer, like, you know, a dentist, typical high paying job or something that have, you know, some backing from the government. And my parents didn't know any better. They started from scratch. You know, they worked their way up. They work in blue collar jobs and I totally understand their perspective. But I said, you know what, I'm going to take a different path. And so I ended up dropping out simply because when I was in school, I was very obsessed with personal developments. I was always reading books. I was always attending workshops. And I remember attending a workshop where I was kind of like a free talk that someone gave. And I was so inspired by the message that this 
guy gave that I ended up going at the end of the talks towards him. And I said, Hey, Nick, I was really inspired by your talk. Is there any chance I could take you out for lunch? And he said, Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. So this is, you know, 2007, 2008. And this is when YouTube just started off. So he had a YouTube channel and he was just starting off publishing videos. And I said, You know what? I actually know something about optimizing YouTube or SEO, uh, which is basically optimizing it for search engines. So your videos are more visible. And so I showed up with a 20 page report and I told him, here's all the ways you can make a YouTube channel a lot better so people will find your message, which is something that I find very important. And he was so impressed that he said, hey, you know what? You should come intern for me for two weeks. And I said, okay, great, let's do it. So after school, I would drive up to West Hollywood, be in, in his office for a few hours and work. And then after two weeks, he said, you know what, Tian, I really like your work ethic. Like, I think you do great work. You should come work for me. And I was like, uh, I don't know, but I feel like I'm learning way more here than I do in school. So you know what? I can always go back to school, but this is maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity to have this guy, this mentor in my life, actually teaching me all the ropes and, and tools of what happens in the real world. So I said, you know what? Let's let's do this because it fails. If it doesn't go well, I can always go back to school. But this thing, this might not happen again. And so I took this opportunity and started working with him for about a year and a half. But then because I grew up in the Netherlands and I entered the States with a student visa, you have to stay enrolled in school in order to be able to stay in the country. So because I dropped out after about a year in, I got a letter from the government saying, hey, Tan, seems like, you know, you're on a student visa here, but you're not currently enrolled in school and not for an upcoming semester either. So unfortunately, you're going to have to leave the country in the next 30 days. And I go, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, what do I do? I'm like, you know, 20, 21 year old kid who has like working experience has a great job, but now is forced to leave the country. And so this is when I kind of learned about forced minimalism, as I like to call it, because I was forced to leave the country and I had to get rid of all my stuff. And uh, I didn't know what to do because I didn't want to tell my parents that I dropped out because I never told them that I did. They thought I was still in school. And so I figured, okay, I got to figure out a solution because I can't go back to them because if I come back, like they're going to kill me. So I got to figure out another solution. And so so I just happened to have a friend who I met in San Francisco and he ended up moving to Bangkok, Thailand. And he said, hey, you know what? You should just come visit and come hang out here for a little bit until you figure out your situation. I said, you know what? Let's do it. So I booked a plane ticket, you know, went from Los Angeles to Bangkok. And that's where I started a blog where I was publicly sharing everything I've learned about productivity, about leadership, about goal setting, about time management. A lot of those ideas were influenced by my time I was at the, at the company where I had my mentor uh, because he invested in training. He was willing to invest in like workshops, both for me, but also other people. And so I was reading books all the time, attending trainings. So I was just learning a lot. And then also at the job, I was learning on site. And so I said, you know what, let me document everything that I was learning because I have all this free time now. I don't know what to do yet. So let me just start blogging. And this is, you know, when blogging just started taking off. So I said, okay, asianefficiency.com. People always say that uh, I'm very efficient after, after I've gone through some training. So you know what, uh, this, it's kind of like a positive stereotype in America. So I'm just going to play with it. And uh, it was just, you know, kind of like a, a fun side hobby. So I just start writing every single week for six to eight months. And then the website just all of a sudden started to take off like random people that I didn't know outside of my friends and family now started reading my blog. And now they wanted to hire me for coaching. They want to have consulting. They wanted to have me like come over, do on-site training. And I said, Oh, no, 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 no. This is all for free. Like, I'm just doing this for fun. This is not a, you know, a business at all. But I kept getting so many emails and so many questions from people 
wanting more. And so I said, you know what, maybe I could turn this into a business. And so I accidentally turned it into a business that it is today. And 11, 12 years later, we're still here. And so I'm very fortunate to be in a position where, you know, what, I can do something that I'm very passionate about, which is productivity and helping people become more productive. Originally, it was just for my friends and family, but now it's, you know, with clients all over the world. So that's kind of where we are today. Mm, that's incredible. And that's, that's so cool. It just started off as a blog. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have this business and then you have all these people coming in and all these eyes seeing it. And like, why in particular, like productivity, like out of all like the things that you could choose to focus on, what was like the draw for you towards learning how to be more productive? Yeah, I think I was forced at my job to keep up because the company was growing really fast and I wasn't equipped with the right tools or knowledge to keep up with my to-do list, right? So when we entered the workforce after college, we're forced to, you know, figure out how we prioritize projects, how we prioritize our to-do list, like how we manage our email, how we do a lot of the knowledge work we do today. And it's kind of assumed that you just know how to do stuff. And what I learned was, well, actually nobody teaches you this kind of thing. Like nobody teaches you how to use a calendar or how to manage your to-do list effectively and prioritize everything that you have going on in your life. And it's so easy to be overwhelmed nowadays because there's so much information. I can say, Sophia, you need to do your taxes for next year. And that takes like five seconds to say and maybe to write down, but that might take like two days for you to actually do. So it's kind of like a losing game. I realized very early on to try to finish everything on your to-do list because it's so easy to add on, but it's so hard to complete stuff because there's so much to do. And I realized, okay, I need to get better at this. And so that's when I started studying other people who uh, were teaching productivity. And this is back when podcasting was not really a thing yet. Again, YouTube was just barely starting off. So there were only books and a few workshops that you could really go to. And I was just obsessed with the idea of, you know what, uh, I want to be a better person. I want to be a better performer, a better team player. I need to figure this out because otherwise I might lose my job. And if I lose my job, I might have to go back to school. I might have to, you know, go back to living with my parents. Like none of these situations were ideal. So I was kind of forced into it in a way. But then when I was going through it, I discovered I had like a natural, maybe like a little bit of a tendency for it, even though I was kind of disorganized, like there's photos of me in my apartment, uh, where you'll see like boxes everywhere, there's clutter everywhere. I've never always been like this efficient that people see me now today, I actually have to learn a lot of this stuff. And what I've learned is productivity is a skill. Like everybody can be more productive. It's not necessarily about having more willpower or discipline. It's actually a skill that you can learn. Just like being organized is a skill because when you're organized, one of the main principles I always teach is everything has a home. So if you know that you come home, like where you put your keys is usually always in the same spot, right? Like imagine every time you come home, you put your keys in a different spot every single time. Like how frustrating would it be every time you left your home, you go, oh, where did I leave my keys this time? And then it's like a treasure hunt that might take a few minutes and your Uber is like waiting. And so you're like stressed out and, you know, but if everything has a home where everything is always in one place, then you know it's easy to find and easy to access and you'll know where to get it, right? And so one thing I always like to say is clutter represents delayed decisions. When you have clutter, it's basically you haven't decided yet what this is and where it belongs. And so that's how you end up with a lot of clutter. Now, these are all things I had to learn over time, but again, it's a skill. Like everyone can learn this. So I went from being pretty disorganized and not that efficient to learning how to be efficient and organized. Now I'm helping people all over the world do the same thing from my own experience. I brought up an interesting point that I was thinking about because you were talking about like putting the keys at a different space, but like, can someone be like, maybe like really disorganized in terms of their house and still be productive at work? Or do you think it links the two? Like they can't have one and not the other? 
That's something I've thought about too. And one thing I've discovered from working with like over 16,000 clients is this adage, and this is so true, is the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So if you're disorganized at home, then you will probably be disorganized at work as well. Because if you can't organize your stuff at home, there's just no chance that you can actually be organized and productive at work because you're still the same person. You're still utilizing the same skills and knowledge to be organized or to perform. But if you don't have it at work, it won't translate at home either, right? So like, for example, if I go into someone's car and that car is completely disorganized, there's like a lot of stuff laying around. Even if I've never been to that person's home or their office, I will know right away that they're probably not as organized as they could be. And that, this goes back to the idea of like clutter represents delayed decisions, right? And so if I see clutter around someone's car, I just know that they haven't made any decisions about where things belong, you know, what they value in terms of organization and uh, maybe cleanliness. And everyone's a little different. Like one is not better than the other, but clutter is also like a visual representation of your mind. So what I mean with that is if your physical space is disorganized and there's a lot of clutter, that also means that your mind is most likely very cluttered as well. And so they kind of go hand in hand. And so I know, for example, if my desk is cluttered, I know I can't focus as well because I just have a lot of stuff here and I go, okay, I haven't made any decision what needs to be done here. So my mind is naturally a lot more cluttered too. So I can't really perform at my best because I know there's just a lot represented here that is unresolved. And same thing with my home. If there's a lot of clutter around my home, it's probably a physical representation of what's going on in my mind as well. Yeah. yeah. And do you think like we need to be motivated in order to start to be more productive? Do you think there's like a link bet between the two or can we like be able to like trick ourselves kind of into being more productive, even though we don't feel necessarily like being productive in that moment? Oh, yeah, we can definitely trick ourselves. That's relatively easy. It's oftentimes the hardest thing is to get started for most people. Right. So when people say that they're dealing with procrastination, procrastination can mean a lot of different things. It's kind of like a symptom of a bigger problem that can be manifested from many different things. Right. So procrastination can come from a lack of motivation. They're just not feeling like they want to do this. Procrastination could also be, uh, come from perfectionism. Like you might not think this is good enough or you don't think you have enough information. So you're never going to start on it. Or it could be a symptom of fear of failure. If you think that you will start on this, it might not turn out to the, the you know level of success that you want it. So why even start that? Right? So you prevent that from happening. So procrastination has a lot of different root causes in many ways. And it's a very interesting problem though people have. And so oftentimes I find that if people are dealing with any form of procrastination, the best thing we can do is to make it really easy for them to get started. Because once they get started, they kind of get over this inertia, this activation energy, we kind of need to move things out of a static position, then it's easy for us to keep going. So what I always tell people is one of my favorite strategies is what I call all just. So if I, for example, have to send an email, like it sounds so simple sending an email, it might take like four or five minutes, but that can be something that we can easily procrastinate on for whatever reason, right? So then what I would say is I'll just write the subject line or I'll just write down the to field of who I'm sending it to and the subject line. And then that's it. That's all I'm going to do, right? So I'm just tricking myself to say, I'm going to do one simple thing. And the sort of definition I like to think of is like, if I say like, it has to be so simple 
that if I say no to this, like I would almost look stupid in a way. Like, of course I can write down who I'm writing this email to. Of course I can write down the subject line, right? That's easy. Like everybody can do that. However, what, what tends to happen is when you, when you start writing down who you write the email to and the subject line, you go, oh, then I might as well type in, hey, Sophia. And then go, oh, well, if it, if type that, then I go, hope your hope your day is growing well. Uh, I'm writing you today because of X, Y, and Z. And then before you know it, the email is actually composed and you go, oh, see, that wasn't that difficult, right? So same thing with working out. If I don't want to work out in the morning, one thing I'll do is, you know what? I'll just put on my workout clothes. Like I can still work from home, but I'll just put on my workout clothes. And I go, oh, okay. That was actually relatively easy you know what, I'll just wear my workout shoes and that's it, right? And then you start to notice like, oh, one step after another, you go, uh, you know what, I have my workout clothes on, I have my workout shoes on, you know, might as well go work out for like five minutes or something, better than nothing. And then before you know it, you're doing like a full hour workout. So I'll just, it's a great way to kind of trick ourselves to get started. That's one of my favorite tips that I like to give people. And then another one is, this is actually very counterintuitive, but if you set a timer for yourself and say, I'm only going to work on this for five minutes, so I call this the five minute trick. I'm only going to work on this for five minutes. Like everyone has five minutes to do anything, right? If I have to write like a long blog post, for example, or I have to prepare podcast show notes, I might say, okay, I'm just going to work on this for five minutes. I'll just create the documents, have some sort of title, maybe like a quick outline, and then that's it. You know, I can do that in five minutes, no problem. So that way I know in the future, if I want to get back to it, I'll have something in front of me and I can work from there. But then what happens naturally is, you know, you get over this inertia of just committing for five minutes and you go, oh, I'm kind of feeling in flow right now. So then you start writing all the other things you have to do. So tricking yourself to only do something for five minutes. And if you set a timer for five minutes as well, you oftentimes find that the timer goes off and you go, you know what? I actually want to continue. Like, I feel like I'm pretty good at this. Uh, let's just continue to do this. But if the timer goes off, you go, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with what I've accomplished so far. Great. You've probably done more in those five minutes than you would otherwise do anyway. And you probably made it easier for yourself as well to get started next time because you kind of cleared the deck a little bit to know that, okay, I've, I created a, a Google Doc. I've created the document. I know where it is. But if I need to get started next time, I'm not starting from scratch. I actually have something already there. Mm. So that's something I would always tell people like those two things are really powerful and yet so simple. I like it. It's kind of like you're gamifying like productivity, like you're making it into a game of like, how can I be more productive? Yeah. Mm. Gamifying is like an interesting aspect to it because yes, we can teach you like all the skills, like all the, you know, strategies and lifestyle changes. And these are all things that are permanent changes that I think are very effective, but they also take a little bit of time to build. They take a little bit more focus. They take a little bit more more effort to put in place, right? It's kind of like everyone can go for a five minute walk, but not everyone can walk for 30 minutes every single day, right? Even though we're doing the same activity, doing it for five minutes is relatively easy one time, doing it for 30 minutes one time, we, I think we can all do that, but doing it every day, that takes a little bit more effort and focus. And so if I can show people something that they can do very quickly, oftentimes that gives them the confidence to then go, oh, see, I've done it one time, I can definitely do it again, right? And we have that reference experience now in our brain to go, if I've done it before, I can do it again. And that's the confidence sometimes we just need to get started and, and to keep going. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, like, if someone's like, maybe like they're looking at their life and they're like, I'm not that productive. You know, I don't have the success I want. I don't have all the things that I want to get to at this level yet. I know I need to change, but I don't know where to start changing. Like, what would you advise that person to start to do every day to start to get closer to that point they want to be at in terms of productivity and success? 
Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I think, opportunity for people to improve themselves and work on themselves, both from a physical, but also from a mind perspective. And so a lot of people will say, hey, you should just start working out. Like working out is a great habit. It's so good for the brain, so good for the body. Like you start building confidence, you start feeling good about yourself. Like these are all things that I think everyone should do, right? So I wouldn't necessarily this is the solution for, for those people specifically, but it's, it will be a huge force multiplier as well. It's just like if you get a great night of sleep every single night or most nights, you'll feel a lot more energized and focused and it'll be a lot easier. But if I would say, if there's one thing you could pick up, if you're kind of like in that place where you're a little bit lost and you're not quite sure what the next move is, you probably will have a hard time figuring it out on your own, just like from sitting down or maybe you're waiting for lightning to strike and go, oh, I know what to do now. But that's not really a powerful position to come from. So what I would say is one thing you can control and influence is the information that you consume over time. So really simple thing could be something I like to do every morning is read 20 pages. And funny enough, 20 pages takes maybe like 15 minutes or 20 minutes at most. And I'm a relatively slow reader. So at most, you're reading 20 pages. And the funny thing is, if you read 20 pages a day, you end up reading the equivalent of 30 books a year. Now, most of us never start the year say, you know what, I'm going to read 30 books this year. Nobody says that. Like that seems so out of reach and so impossible. But I think everybody can read 20 pages a day. Even if you do 10 pages in the morning, 10 pages at night, like everyone can read 20 pages. And so I'm a big believer of small habits done consistently lead to big results over time. And so if you take that idea and say, hey, I'm kind of lost right now. I'm not quite sure where to start. Maybe I'm not as motivated. Pick up a book that maybe is of interest to you or a topic related to what we're talking about, productivity, personal development, success, and just read for 20 pages a day. And hopefully by doing that, you will then, instead of waiting for lightning to strike you and go, oh, I know what I need to do next. Now you're being proactive. Now you're actually taking action and saying, I am going to take steps to figure out what my next move is going to be and having the right information that you're consuming intentionally will make it a lot more likely for that lightning bolt to strike you rather than just waiting around and do nothing. Right. So uh, if you're not a reader, you can do the same thing with audiobooks, like listen to an audiobook for 20 minutes every single morning or 20 minutes every single day. Like that's something that is so easy that everyone can do. And at least you're being proactive about what the next move is, because if we're just sitting and waiting, nothing will likely change. But if we can get the right message and the right person or the right content show up in our life, uh, that can sometimes make a huge difference. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm like laughing thinking about like waiting on the couch waiting for some lightning to come through the window. <laughs> yeah, but that's not gonna happen. But yeah. And like out of like all the clients you worked with, what is something that you were really surprised by? Like something you weren't expecting in terms of like either productivity or personal development that like really shocked you when you found it out? So when I started my blog, uh, again, I was like early 20 year old kid, right? So I had no idea who I was writing to because I was just writing towards my friends and family. And one of the things I started doing early on was when I would do coaching calls or I would, sometimes I would interview people who would read my blog, I would try to understand really their problems and challenges in their life. One of the best business practices that they usually teach is understand your customer, like understand who you're serving. What are their hopes and dreams? What are their failures? What are what have they tried? What haven't they tried? Like uh, where are they consuming information? Like you're really trying to understand the customer so you can best help them. And said, you know what, let me try to interview some people that who read my blog, you know, subscribe to my email newsletter and just see what I can learn from them so I can have a better sense of how I can best serve them, like what kind of topics I should, you know, write content about and stuff like that. And so I started doing like roughly 60 interviews in a span of like uh, a few weeks. 
And I was so surprised. And again, because you know, I'm an early 20 year old kid, uh, most people I was working with was like people with families. They were in the 40s and 50s. They were in the medical field. There were entrepreneurs, but also a lot of them, most of them were actually in corporate America. And I wrote my content from a standpoint of young entrepreneur who wants to make it big in life. That was kind of like how I wrote my stuff. And because that's the person I was, that's the person I represented. And that's the person I would write to. But I would get all these calls and talk to these people with people who were way further ahead, 20, 30 years ahead uh, with family and kids and, and a busy life. And I was so shocked <laughs> that these are the people that loved my stuff. So that was one of the major revelations I had. And so once I understood that, then kind of helped me write, customize and personalize my content even better because now I really knew who I was writing to. I wasn't writing to the person who was just like me. I was writing to those people specifically that I interviewed. And kind of got a better sense of, you know, what they were dealing with. And so a lot of this it's stuff that you and I probably don't even think about much is like, you know, how do you deal with, you know, kids that are really young, right? How do you deal with taking care of your parents as they're getting older and maybe they live with you? How do you deal with, you know, X, Y, and Z? All these things that I typically don't see on a day-to-day basis, but I only uncovered because I was talking to them on the phone and learning about them uh, that I went, okay, this is not my area of expertise because one, I don't have kids. So I ended up hiring people on my team who were, a little older than me, but also had kids and were also very obsessed about productivity. And they were then, you know, the perfect person to help them, right? And so that's a major business lesson I learned is like, hey, you know, yes, there's so much only I can do. And I probably have the great message that people like to resonate with. But if I really want to help them specifically with their situation, I can also surround myself with other people who can specifically help them with that. And so that was a major revelation. So anyone that's listening or watching this, like if you're running a business, really understand your customer. And sometimes they might be people that you you don't think they are. Mm. It's so interesting. You were in your 20s and all the people reading were like in their 40s and like a totally different stage. It's interesting because you think you would attract more of the people like you're similar to you, like through your writing and through like just attraction, which is interesting. But I wonder if like did more people come to you like during COVID, during like like the kind of different things that were happening in terms of like more working from home, more like different challenges coming up? Did you find like a lot of people come to you during that time specifically noticing like their productions like drawing? because it's not like the similar environment they're used to being in the office. Did you notice anything happen there? Yeah, there was a major shift happening. Uh, Obviously, it was a major shift in the world, right? During that time, 2020 and early 21. And so the good part for me, in a sense, was I've always worked from home. So since 2010, I've always worked from home. Like I always had a remote company since day one. So I was very used to working from home. In fact, I probably am on the cutting edge when it comes to working from home, using the right tools and technologies, best practices, because I was able to refine that over a decade, essentially, to get a better sense of like, what, what does it take to be really productive working from home or traveling or being in a remote area? And so I didn't know this was an advantage because this was just my normal life day to day. And so when the pandemic came and everyone started working from home, I went, oh, I see an opportunity now. Because I've always had this idea of teaching people how to be productive working from home. But one thing I've also learned in business over time is like 
timing makes a big difference in terms of how well your product or service will be received. So if I taught a working from home productivity course in let's say 2016, nobody would care because life is good. We're all in the office, right? That many people are working from home. But if I took the same material and I did it in 2020, even though it's the same thing, the timing of it was very different. And so when the pandemic came, I saw an opportunity and said, okay, I've always wanted to create this course on how to be productive working from home. This is the time to do it. And so when we got shut down, you know, normally it takes like six to eight months to build a course. I did it in six weeks. So I went like really fast. I said, me and my team, we have to put this out ASAP because people are struggling with this and we need to help these people. And so we launched the course. It's one of the best courses we've ever created in terms of content, but also how much revenue it did. And simply because the market and timing and messaging was all just, you know, in confluence, right? So during that time, we helped a lot of people transition to working from home and big companies like Louis Vuitton were hiring me to kind of consult them because now their agents and staff were working from home and they said, hey, we have no clue how to do this. Like, how do we do this? And so I just, you know, helped them out and gave a talk and gave, gave some material for them to work through. But then I also launched a workshop and then or online workshop and online course as well to kind of help people make that transition. And now that we're kind of like back to normal, that course is not in demand at, at, at all anymore. Like people are just kind of living their life again and, you know, going back to the office or working semi-remote. And at this point, they kind of figure it out already a little bit. So now nobody really cares about that course anymore. So it's just funny to see how the timing and the life span of something like that takes place. And so, uh, yeah, during COVID or pandemic, uh, it was definitely an interesting shift. And that's part of being a business owner is you kind of have to be in tune with what's going on in the world and how do we ride that trend and, and go with that wave because that's where attention is going. That's where people are spending their money. You know, if I had gloves to sell in 2015, it probably wouldn't be as, you know, in demand as it would be in 2020, just like, you know, with our mask and stuff like that, right? So timing makes a big difference. So you can have a great idea at the wrong time. And that's why a lot of companies will fail. But also if you have a great idea, but you're doing it at the right time, oftentimes uh, it will sometimes look very easy to a lot of people uh, because you just have the timing working out for you. So that's something I definitely learned from that period. Mm. And like when you work from home, do you do anything in particular about like this space is for working versus the space is not for working in terms of like splitting up your home? Or do you do anything strategic there to like be able to shut off once like once you're done from work, you're like done as well? Yeah, everyone's workspace is a little different. So for example, some people that I've worked with have a really small apartment. For example, they have a studio. And so work and home or personal stuff is all the same thing, right? And some people have the, the luxury to have a home office and they have a separate office where they can kind of like separate work and personal stuff. So what I've found is I personally like to separate the two as much as I can. So I like to work from, let's say, eight in the morning till four o'clock. And that's kind of like my schedule where I tend to focus on work. And then I kind of make a mental shift to go after four o'clock, after I'm done checking my email and kind of clearing my desk, then I just want to do stuff that is not related to work, all my personal stuff, like all my hobbies and, and the things that I want to do. And even though I have a flexible schedule and I, I can kind of mix if I wanted to, like I could do you know my hobbies in the daytime if I wanted to, because I have a flexible schedule. To me, it just seems like you're always switching in, in my brain. And so I would rather and prefer to just stick to, hey, let me just focus between eight and four. I have a routine and a schedule there that makes it easy for me to follow. And then after that, it's, it's like uh, anything that I can do personally. So that's something I would always recommend to clients as well is try to separate the two. So even if you work from home in a small studio and you have like maybe like a dining table, for example, still have a schedule that you follow. But then after your, your schedule is done, make that mental shift to go, okay, 
yes, this is all, this is all one space and it's maybe small, but make that mental shift to go, okay, I'm not working anymore. Now I'm doing personal stuff. So you can kind of detach yourself and so you don't feel burned out or like you're working all the time because that can easily happen when you're in a small space. And this is something I definitely saw during the pandemic when we had to stay home. The separation between work and personal kind of became one thing. And so people felt they were actually working all the time. They were working longer hours. They were burned out a lot more, especially when you can't leave. So it's just a confluence of all these different factors. But yeah, I would always recommend that you separate as much as possible. So, so even in my home, this is my desk here. Uh, I will only do stuff at work here on my desk. And whenever it's personal stuff, I'll take my laptop and sit elsewhere and do my personal stuff there. Just like when I'm uh, in bed, I don't have a TV. My bed is literally just used for sleeping. <laughs> like there's nothing else. There's no lounging around. If I want to watch TV, I go on the couch and watch TV. So it's a very designated use of space. And then I'm also, I'm training my brain and mind in a way to go, oh, if I'm at my desk, I'm working. If I'm in bed, then I'm sleeping. If I'm in the kitchen, I'm eating or cooking. And that makes it really easy to transition and, and take breaks and, and distance myself, separate all the different things going on in my life. Yeah, it makes it so much easier when you're separating the two versus like trying to go back and forth between the two and like mix them more. And like for like when you're first starting to be more productive, do you feel like it's a training process over time? Do you feel like it's something that can happen overnight? Or how long do you think we have to do like that training in terms of like our mind to be more productive is that like an ongoing process so this is a question i was trying to figure out for myself too is i used to think that productivity was like a lifelong journey where you can always be more productive even if you're you know started 20 years ago and you're doing stuff today like there's always ways to be more productive right so i thought for the longest time that it was something you would do forever like i had a morning routine 10 years ago i have a morning routine today and i'm always tweaking it i'm always making adjustments i'm always you know uh, trying to make it better and optimize it so i never thought there was an end to it however what i've discovered is there was a moment in time when i uh, was asking myself that question like how do we actually know we've mastered productivity because I just assumed it was a lifelong journey. But then I got a few emails and text messages from former clients. And they all said something very similar. They said, hey, Tian, I really loved your material. I've actually stopped kind of like following your, your work and just kind of move on to the next step in my career or next step in my life. And that to me is like the ultimate success story, right? They came to us, they got what they needed, and they moved on to the next big thing. And now they have new skills, knowledge and information and habits to kind of be productive for the rest of their life. And so I, I said, huh, I've noticed a few clients say the same thing now. Like, I wonder what they all have in common. So I kind of put like a matrix together and said, okay, what are all these people here that said this? And what do they all have in common? So I have like a color graded matrix where I go, okay, such and such name, all the skills that they have, all the things that they do, and let's just color grade. And I kind of start to notice like there was a lot of overlap of what they would do. So for example, most of them knew how to plan their day. Most of them knew how to manage their energy. Most of them knew how to do some sort of weekly review. Most of them know how to like have a wind down routine at the end of the day. So they sleep really well, which helps for productivity. So I started to write all these things down and I started to notice that essentially all of my successful clients have like 25 skills in common. And if you master all these 25 skills, then I realized you essentially are the most productive person you can be. And so I created essentially a new course called 25X Productivity System, which is kind of like our new methodology now, which walks you through all the 25 skills you would need. And this is something I actually have been teaching 
for over a decade, but I never sort of put it in one sort of like package to go, oh yeah, if you want to master productivity, this will actually take you like two years if you really want to be in the top 1%, but here's the roadmap to get there. And these are the 25 skills you will learn. But not everyone wants to do that. Not everyone wants to commit two years to learning and being intentional about that. Some people just want to, you know, get a crash course. Some people just want to do a one or two day workshop and get the 80-20 of the 80-20, as I like to say, and then move on. And so that's something I teach now too. And this is an online course. It teaches like six of the 25 skills. And those would be like the foundation for productivity. So it'd be like, how do you plan your day? How do you prioritize your week? How do we uh, make sure you have a productive week as well? And how do we make sure you have the right tools in place, like your to-do list, the calendar and stuff like that? So these are all the things people can do. And so when you're just starting off, one of the best things you can do, and this is a framework I teach is, it's called the T framework, which stands for time, energy, and attention. They are the pillars of productivity. If you wanna be more productive, you need to maximize your time, you need to maximize your energy, you need to maximize your attention. And of all the 25 skills, they're kind of categorized under time, energy, and attention in, in some shape or form. So for time, if you want to maximize your time, planning your day is one of the best ways in order for you to be utilizing your time in the best way possible. So you want to be intentional about saying, hey, today I'm going to re record a podcast with Sophia. Today I'm going to do a workout. Today I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, right? And so you want to be intentional about that. With energy... The best thing you can do for energy is going to bed earlier. So I would recommend going to bed earlier five minutes each day and then add an extra five minutes that you go to bed a little earlier. So if you go to bed at, mid at midnight right now, go to bed tonight at 11.55. Tomorrow, go to bed at 11.50. The day after, 11.45. And within two weeks, you'll get an extra hour of sleep in that you get every single night. And imagine what you could do with an extra hour of sleep. That would be a lot more productive productivity uh, stuff to be done. So that's for energy. And then attention, when it comes to attention, what we're simply referring to is we want to make sure we're focusing on the right things. Like nothing pains me more than seeing somebody waste or wasting time, spending a lot of energy and focus on something only to realize that it wasn't that important or they worked on the wrong thing. And they go, oh my gosh, I spent a whole day working on this report, but I actually shouldn't have been doing this at all, right? So attention is all about how do we focus on the right thing? And that's why prioritization skills are really important. So something I always teach is like, how do we prioritize our to-do list? How do we prioritize stuff in our day? How do we prioritize stuff in our week? How do we prioritize all the things that we have in our backlog or our project list? Like these are all skills that you can learn, right? So if we maximize the time, energy, and attention, those are the three pillars of productivity. And that's something I would always recommend people start off with first. Mm, so helpful. And what's, what's a wind down routine? Yeah. So the wind down routine is if I asked you, Sophia, like what's the best way for you to get consistently great sleep? Most people wouldn't have a good answer for that, right? Because sometimes like we lay, we lay down and we go, oh, uh, I can fall asleep right away. And sometimes we go to bed and we go, oh my gosh, like my brain is like going hundred miles an hour. Like there's a lot of stuff happening in there. I can't fall asleep. I might take like two hours. So let me watch some Netflix and then hopefully I'll then fall asleep, right? So there's a lot of inconsistency there. So a wind down routine is essentially a set of steps that you can take at the end of the day to, to kind of calm yourself down and get yourself ready for a great night of sleep. So one of the things I recommend is that people don't have any screen time in the last 60 minutes of their day. So no screen time. So no phone, no tablet, no TV, nothing like that. Because when whenever there's light, light is actually prohibiting melatonin, which is the hormone that makes us fall asleep from producing. So if we have light in our environment, it tells our body not to produce any melatonin. But we need that melatonin to fall asleep and to actually fall asleep, right? That's why we take the supplement sometimes to fall asleep. 
if we have a hard time sleeping. And that's simply because of light. So we, if we're in the presence of light, we actually make it very difficult for us to fall asleep. That's why people don't recommend that you watch TV at night or do you have a lot of bright lights on at night? And that's why I always recommend that you don't use any screens at the last like hour of your day. And so people go, oh, oh my gosh, like if I can't use my screen, what do I do then? You know, well, you can still dim the lights and stuff, right? But you can go read a book. Like how many books do you have on your bookshelf that you haven't even started yet? Like that's an opportunity. If you have a partner that you live with, like spend some time with your partner, like maybe doing some chores together, maybe talking about stuff together. Like there's a lot of things you can do with your partner. Likewise, you can do stuff around the home, right? You can have a journal with you and just write stuff down. Like there's just so many things you can do. Like you can do a little bit of yoga at the end of the day and kind of relax. Like all the things you can do in 60 minutes. All the things are designed specifically with the intention of I'm just trying to calm myself down. Because if I can go to bed and calm myself down feeling really relaxed, then guess what? You probably are going to have a great night of sleep. And as you know, if we sleep well, we feel much more energized. We're less likely to procrastinate, make it easier for ourselves to focus. And so a wide down routine is kind of like the last 60 minutes of your day to kind of calm yourself down. So you have all the environment conditions to say, you know what, I'm going to get a great night of sleep consistently night after night. Yeah. And is there any amount of like sleeping time you notice helps in terms of more in terms of productivity or like an amount of sleep time also not to go over because that's maybe too much sleep? Yeah, sleep is a very interesting topic and the science is still evolving in that area, but there's a lot of things we do know. So one is, so we have this thing called our circadian rhythm. So circadian rhythm is like a 24 hour cycle that we all go through. Like we all sleep, we all wake up, we all feel like energized and we all actually are programmed to have an afternoon lull at some point and then we have like another burst of energy and then we kind of wind down and sleep and then you know that repeats itself 24 hours right however in those 24 hours we also have like mini cycles and those mini cycles are called ultradian rhythms so ultradian rhythms are actually 90 minute cycles where you feel a little groggy or low on energy low on alertness and then you have a, like a spike of alertness and energy and then it goes down again and those repeat every 90 minutes and so what we found is that sleep also follows that very similar pattern is a sleep pattern is actually 90 minutes as well. Like you, you know, you fall in light sleep, you go into REM sleep, you go into deep sleep, you go back to REM sleep, back to light sleep, and then you repeat that cycle every 90 minutes, right? And so ideally, if you're sleeping, you want to sleep in a 90 minute cycle. So I would recommend that if you sleep for an ideal time for a lot of people, it would be seven and a half hours. So seven and a half is part of a 90 minute cycle, right? Because 90 minutes plus 90 minutes is three hours times two is six Add another 90. That's seven and a half. So a lot of people will need at least seven and a half. Like everyone's going to be different, of course, but I'm just speaking general here. Uh, seven and a half is a good benchmark because I'm sure you've been in situations before where the alarm clock went off and you're were probably in like some sort of REM sleep or deep sleep cycle, like in the middle of your cycle. And you wake up, even though you might've slept for a really long time, you feel really groggy. You go, oh my gosh, like it takes like forever to wake up. Like, why is this? And it's because you probably got woken up in the middle of a cycle, which is the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. And so if we can wake up during a 90 minute cycle towards the end of it, we feel a lot more energized when we wake up. So that's why seven and a half, I think is a good benchmark. And then there's also this topic of sleep debt, which simply means like if we're not sleeping enough, we're accumulating sleep 
that. And the more that uh, depth goes up, the harder it is to really focus and energize. So the, we have to start paying off that debt as well. Now, it's not like, uh, you know, if you're by your 40s, that this debt is like, you know, in the millions of hours or anything like that. It's really based on roughly like the last two weeks of your sleep. So you can actually fix that in about two weeks to kind of like clear your sleep debt. Uh, and there's a great app for this called Rise Science that I personally like to use that will calculate your sleep debt and also show you like, hey, here's some ways we can pay off your sleep debt by taking naps or going to bed early. And based on your cycle, it will show you what the ideal bedtime is for you as well. So you can kind of figure out like, oh, this, if I go to bed tonight at 1030, I'll probably pay off a lot of sleep debt and maybe in two weeks I'll be done with it or in five days. So it's a great app I personally like and recommend as well. I'm not affiliated with them whatsoever. Something I'm just a big fan of. So those are some things that I think people should know about sleep. Mm, that's so interesting. I didn't know about either one, but I was wondering like why I'll wake up sometimes and just be more tired. Like I wonder, exactly. like, and I slept more. I was like, what, what happened? But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I have a final question for you. So if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what would you want to tell him? Or if you want to tell him nothing at all, that's an option as well. If I had to go back and tell my 20 year old self, I would say, you know, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my 20s is to travel the world as much as you can, because you have the time and energy to do it. And you probably have the time, energy and lifestyle to do it as well, to be able to travel the world. And traveling gives you so much perspective, especially when you're talking to locals, you learn about different political systems, you learn about different medical systems, you learn about different values, you learn about different traditions, you have all these different insights that you get that you would normally never get from a social media post or a YouTube video. It's something you have to see firsthand. And I was very fortunate to be able to have traveled quite a bit in my 20s. And one of my best decisions was to do that. And so if I had to go back to my 20 year old self, I would say I wish I had done more. <laughs> uh, and really done a lot of that a lot more, but I'm really happy that I did do a lot of that. And for anybody else that's listening, like if you're entering your 20s now, you know, work, making money, business, career, that, that will always be there. But traveling in your 20s, like going to Vegas when you're 21 is very different than going to Vegas when you're 41. Even though it's the same city, it's a very different experience. But based on who you go with and what's going on. So go in your 20s and figure out what you like and what you don't like. And then as you get older, you can always go back to the to your favorite spots and see it from a completely different new perspective and new appreciation as well. So go travel more. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you for having me. And where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Yeah, I have a website called AsianEfficiency.com. You can find over... 500 articles that I've personally written on there. So lots of free material. I also have a podcast called The Productivity Show. So if you're looking uh, anywhere for podcasts, just look up The Productivity Show and you'll find me there. It's a weekly episode with productivity tips. And we also have stuff on YouTube, you know, on Instagram, uh, TikTok. You'll find us all over. So just look for Asian Efficiency and The Productivity Show and you'll find us there. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.